You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 259. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. All right, let me turn this down. All right, Happy New Year, everyone. It is now 2023. Welcome to... Uh, the local maximum. You've reached the first local maximum of 2023. Um, had, a, had a long week, lots of, uh, lots of parties, lots of, lots of events. I hope you saw family. I hope you got a good break. Did I get a good break? Eh, sort of yes, sort of no. I feel like today my, my, my voice is either going to be, was either going to be very itchy, very scratchy, or very sticky uh, because, uh, but, and I chose the latter. I, I had some leftover Hanukkah chocolate, so I won't be won't be having a an, an an extra raspy voice today, but it might be a little bit of a of a sticky voice because there's a little bit of chocolate in there. But uh, hey, that's that is a better uh, problem to have, in in my opinion. Uh, all right, so today I have a little solo show here to uh, stop off the show. I think next time, or there's a bunch of things that we have to do next time Aaron comes on. Uh, but um, I want to go back to uh, the, uh, the 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 previous show, and I want to talk a little bit about 2002 on the local maximum. First of all, the year 2022 was the first year that the local maximum had over 100,000 downloads uh, across all platforms for 2022. That's the most ever in a year, uh, and and the first year to break that number. So thank you very much to this audience. Uh, but I should point out, because I, I see this trick that marketers do very often, um, there's this little bit of a snag in there where it is, and so I, just to be honest, just, just for full accountability, uh, that is not the most ever in a 12-month period. So I wouldn't mention that if I were one of today's marketers, they'd just be like, all-time high, woohoo, but you know, hey, uh, this is the... The, the highest in a single year as a year, you know, you could probably take, we had kind of a surge at the end of 2019 and the beginning of the pandemic. So if you kind of stick together, you know, some 12 months, if you kind of take 12 consecutive months from the end of 19 and early 2020, you might be able to get to like a 107K download instead of 103 that you have today. But it's still good to see that milestone as confidence in the podcast audience, much higher than 2022. So I thank you for all of that. Now, some other good news coming out at the beginning of the year. Um, for, uh, a lot of changes coming. I don't know if they're all, if it's good or bad, but we'll see. Sometimes you have to accept <laughs> changes in life. Um, but I have a, another paper coming out on Archive pretty soon. It's actually already out on Archive. Archive gave me the link, but I haven't like tweeted about it yet, or I haven't um, I haven't posted it on my blog yet. Uh, but this is the paper on rather than um, going back and, and talking about machine learning directly. I talk about one of my thoughts on probability theory, and this one is about relative probability, the idea that, hey, I might not know uh, the absolute probability of an event, like this event has a, has a 20% chance of happening, but I know it's twice as likely as some other event. Um, and uh, could you take this idea that probability is relative and there's no, nothing absolute and kind of make a, a theory out of it 
um, as like, as like, Hey, that is the, uh, uh, you know, th- that, that is the object that we're studying where we only know the relationship between events or, or, or outcomes, but we don't actually know, um, or, or we don't even assume that they have absolute probabilities. Um, so it's an interesting idea. Um, it's an important idea for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, in a lot of the machine learning methods that, that I'm used to, and that, uh, you know, whether it's Bayesian inference, whether it's, you know, um, energy methods, backpropagation, all that stuff, uh, that some of you are nodding your heads and some of you are like, what's he talking about? It really, when you're trying to find the best model, it really, of, of the world, whether you're, you know, a, a data scientist or whether you're just a person, you're usually trying to, um, you know, you're usually trying to discriminate between multiple models of the world in your brain. And it's helpful, I think, to ask uh, when someone asks, how likely is this? The answer is compared to what? I think there's actually Sherlock Holmes might have said something about that when he said, you know, hey, uh, again, I'm not a huge, I haven't read Sherlock Holmes in like 10 years, but um, he used to have this thing where it would be like, hey, you know, if if this is uh, unlikely, but it's more likely than any of the other possibilities. So, um, yeah, and, and and I also think so. Um, and and a lot of like uh, times when we search uh, hypothesis spaces, when you get into like very advanced data science and uh, and and machine learning, when you're when you're searching through you know huge spaces of of hypotheses, it often matters only you know how likely are they relative to each other and not relative to some absolute outcome. And you know, it, there's also a philosophical question in there because does absolute probability really uh, exist? Um, you know, because there are always assumptions uh, made and, and there are always uh, k- kind of, um, there, there are co- kind of always backstops baked in. Let me actually pull up this paper for a second uh, because I know that I, uh, I know that I, I know that I wrote something about that um, in the narrative. Ah, you know what? It's too. It's 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 going to be. Uh, it's going to take a while to to uh, to uh, bring this up. Nope, nope. Actually, it's not going to take a while to bring this up. Is it like in my? Is it in my um, conclusion? No. But I will read my conclusion. Should practitioners regularly use the language of relative probability when describing and deploying? probabilistic models. It may not be beneficial in every situation, but they should certainly consider it. Computational techniques for Bayesian inference and machine learning in many cases remove the need to normalize the distributions involved. So why not make it official? And that's the idea behind this paper. Now, it turns out that when you think about this mathematically, a lot of interesting things fall out of it. Um, and the paper has a lot of interesting like like diagrams and stuff. And I think it's something that um, most people can can listen, uh, can, uh, can understand. It's not, um, you know, it's not, it's high level math, but it's not like some, some crazy high level math. <laughs> at least it's something that, uh, <laughs> at least it's something that is like, you know, um, I wouldn't have to work too hard to understand this. Like someone in college can understand this. So, all right. I will probably talk about that more, maybe devote whole episodes to it, but let's talk about the biggest story, um, for this year. I think they're encapsulated in a few episodes that I did this year, uh, the first is like, you know, uh, the episode 256 from a few weeks ago when I talked about the broken world of big tech. Um, certainly, our economics is broken. Um, social media companies and, big, and, and, and the actual companies that represent big tech, you know, uh, Facebook in particular, but also like Google and Amazon, uh, they're hurting a lot uh, in the markets. And some of them are... 
um, going to have to shrink and going to have to uh, change the way they do things considerably. Obviously, and when you talk about talk about a broken world, uh, crypto <laughs> with uh, not just FTX but the whole host of bankruptcies and, and contagion um, and, and credit. Um, uh, you know, the credit blowups that have happened throughout the industry this year uh, certainly uh, um, certainly contributes to that broken world. Uh, but this is creative to say, look, go outside, have a good time. It's not a broken world. It's just parts of these, these this, this is just creative destruction. This sets us up to build in 2023 and, um, and, and build on top of what works and discard what doesn't work. Um, you know, sometimes I, I think these things are necessary because humans have a, a tendency, um, even more than machines, but uh, perhaps uh, machines and other physical processes have this tendency too, uh, certainly in, in nature, to keep doing what they've been doing uh, just because that's what they do best, uh, without having some jolt, without having some real wake-up call that say, hey, we need to do things differently. And that's that's the role of creative destruction. And that's the role, I think, of market cycles. Um, you know, you know th there are like artificial market cycles uh, caused by credit expansion, but I also think that there are natural market cycles. And I think that um, it's because humans are not like, you know, are, are not, um, they have to be pushed to change their ways. And so this is the market uh, response to do that. Also, look, we've had amazing breakthroughs in uh, in, in, in one amazing breakthrough example in the popular imagination is with the innovation of chat GPT. Note that I didn't say it's not a breakthrough invention. It's not a breakthrough scientific discovery, but innovation. That's usually the scientific discovery happens first. I mean, that would be like, you know, the advent of the computer, the ad, you know, then there's invention. Uh, the, you know, you could talk about kind of the invention of neural nets, which happened many, many decades ago. Um, and maybe some, there, maybe there are some inventive ideas in the, in the creation of, uh, in, you know, in, in the, uh, in the continuation of Moore's law, having all, all of this computing power. But really, this has kind of culminated into an innovation showing how the tech of large language models that's been in labs for many years that we've talked about on this program many years that people have tried to commercialize for many years can reach the public. And ChatGPT did that. That's a big deal. You know, I took machine learning with Jan LeCun way back in 2010. I've done machine learning uh, professionally, but I'm currently going to be brushing up on my deep learning knowledge and my knowledge of these large language models from my understanding. You know, they're just, um, they're just very uh, deep kind of neural networks that, that um, maybe they, they are recurrent neural networks, which are certainly around when I was learning this and had been around for, for many decades. Uh, but Really, it's the it's the increase, just throwing more more computational power on them, that has worked. So I, I'm going to dive, but I'm going to dive more into to deep learning again. Probably relearn some stuff that I learned in 2010, and then also relearn what's going on in the market over the last few years because it's important to do a deeper dive on this soon. Also, this year, look, self-driving cars. I know it's I know it's gonna. I I, I said we've been saying uh, we haven't. Um, we haven't changed our timeline. Uh, you know, we, we, we've really always been saying, you know, by the end of, of, of this decade, uh, I mean, you can, I don't know, someone go and look at 
the public statements that I have made and the public statements that Aaron made and tell us what promises were in self-driving cars. Uh, we knew it was going to be a long slog, but the very interesting thing about this is it doesn't stop every year. It pushes forward and forward. Yes, even as Tesla stock takes a nosedive, they launched a version of self-driving in their cars. It works pretty well. Um, it's not like you know where you would want it to be for like the, the futuristic vision, but it's pretty cool. They launched that in, in November. And Waymo keeps expanding to new cities without safety driver. Now in SF, and I've seen YouTube videos of people using Waymo, calling the taxi. There's no one there. I'd love to try one out. We'll see if they have one near me or if I, if I travel to any of these places. But it just keeps expanding, even in horrendous market conditions. So this is... Um, this is really interesting to look at. Even in crypto, look, this year there was the Ethereum merge, uh, which we talked about how Ethereum moved from per proof of work to proof of stake. Very difficult uh, techn technological challenge. Uh, I believe there have been some upgrades to the Bitcoin Lightning Network, or at least it's kept growing. You know, and, and the number of people, uh, the, the, the network hash rate has keep, kept growing. And if the so-called industry, you know, the... the you know, the lending industry, the, 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 the so-called crypto bank industry, if that took a wrong turn, well, it backed out of that wrong turn very painfully for, for many people, for all of us. And now it has an opportunity, just like creative destruction does, there's a silver lining here, to go in a completely different direction. So hopefully next week with Aaron, we'll do our predictions. We'll do some predictions for this year, but also we'll, maybe we'll give some predictions further into the future as well uh, to fill in gaps uh, for the tech retreat um, last year, because last year, you know, we had been doing predictions in every tech retreat uh, since 2015. And so I decided to do something different this year, because uh, because we already had a lot of predictions on the table. But uh, maybe maybe an Aaron and I can fill in a few predictions just so that we have something to look at next year. All right. And uh, I, I also in preparation for today's episode, I looked back at previous uh, New Year's episodes. So last year was episode 206 topics for the new year. Um, that What was in the news then? Interestingly enough, it was, you know, the Facebook whistleblower was in the news. Do you, who remembers the Facebook whistleblower? Um, I, that, that does feel like a long time ago now, doesn't it? I guess it was a year ago. A year, a year creeps up on you. So the Facebook whistleblower was saying a couple of things. Um, I think, first of all, you know, Facebook knew that, um, you know, some of their policies on Instagram and, and Facebook were uh, contributing to uh, depression, teen depression. Um, and also, you know, they want more government oversight over social media. I said at the time, I think we're in a war for truth. We don't necessarily know how to fight this war. So we really need to get to the bottom of, I, I, I predicted that we would get to the bottom of social media censorship in 2023. And the problem I was pointing out in January 22 was information distribution. I said that we're in a war for truth. We don't have a good guidebook on how to fight the war for truth in the 21st century. Of course, I go back to you know my own thoughts on the war for truth. We do have the scientific method, not sci not you know, not scientific establishment, but scientific method. We have Bayesian inference, whatnot, but we don't really have the tools to figure out how a public square of billions of people should function. So I said that in 2022, uh, we'd likely to get to the bottom of how social media has been tipping the scales on the information war. 
And <laughs> I was right, but I didn't know in what way uh, regarding Twitter and regarding Elon Musk buying Twitter. That was not on the that was not on the menu back then. I don't think I was expecting like a Twitter files situation so directly addressing this and that continues to address this. Here, here's something to think about with the Twitter files. You know, a lot of people have been worrying about hate speech online. Uh, that's fine, but maybe people are, are, are thinking about the most extreme examples of hate speech when the really concerning things here are something completely different. For example, what if a medical professional is on Twitter and is banned for saying something about the vaccine that's true, but they don't want it, uh, but, but the, the management or the government doesn't want it to get out anyway because it might contribute to vaccine hesitancy. Are these the kinds of games that they should be playing? It's also a very cynical view of the world. It's like, hey, um, you know, we're, going, we're, we're trying to um, make this case um, and we're going to only allow uh, positive things to be said about it and we're not going to allow any negative things to be said about it, even if it's true, rather than being like, hey, this is, a, this is an issue of, of public concern and there should be public commentary on it. We should address uh, every issue that, that, that comes up and treat people like adults. I, I mean... Maybe I, maybe the uh, is it are 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 the people in charge cynical and they're right or are they are they uh, are they overly cynical and and wrong about human nature? I tend to think it's the latter. I think well, no, I I have some issues with with human nature, but I think you know, I I just don't want to live in a world where the right answer is to knock people over the head with propaganda and not actually have discussions about the issue, even if you think you have the right answer. That's, you know, that, that doesn't lead down a good road. That's always going to lead down uh, a, a, a very bad road, particularly when, when people start um, um, uh, 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 abusing that power, which they already have, clearly, and are clearly down that road. So uh, I, I ask again... Um, if a doctor is, should a doctor be banned for saying something that's true, but because it's on kind of the wrong side of what's good and what's not good, should they should they be banned? If your answer is yes, you should just come out and tell us who you are and not hide behind the the hate speech. That's a kind of moniker. That's a a Martin Bailey type of a type of a of a strategy where you're just going to come in and say, oh, I'm just against this really, really horrible thing. But really, you know, you're against these pretty important things that um, <laughs> that, that, that you're not telling us. Um, you know, another example is, look, I, the, the war in Ukraine, a lot of people, this is another one, it's so frustrating, where, you know, should should people allowed to be allowed to say negative things about Ukraine and, and, and what they're doing? And could you acknowledge issues with Ukraine and still support, uh, still support uh, their side and still think they have sovereignty and still think, you know, it's, it's right for them to defend their country. That's kind of what I think. But, you know, again, just sort of, um, we, we don't live in the world now where you could have those discussions. We live in the world where you're on one side or the other. And so I think we're going to have to dig our way out of it. Um, and, uh, and hopefully, uh, Hopefully, we will contribute to the solution on the show and not to the problem. Um, and then, of course, um, talk about the information war. I think it gets more hot button when you're talking about some of these political things. But look, the New York Post reporting on the Hunter Biden uh, story, it was not hate speech. Um, you know, it was not false speech. It was the concern, I think, was that even if it's true, it would hurt votes for their preferred candidate, which is, you know, even if you... I mean, yes, I understand back in 2020, people were like, 
you know, we'll do whatever it takes to get rid of Trump. But, you know, is that really now going forward, we're going to have more elections. Is that really the world you want to live in? Not not that's not the world that I want to live in. So I think a lot of people are missing the point when it comes to how social media is being run. And I, I saw a, a tweet a storm today, a, a tweet um what's it called a rant today by Clay Shirky who's kind of a really smart thinker i think you know he's been mentioned a lot on the show he had a lot to say about the uh introduction to um uh um was he, he worked at um uh NYU uh he he's an author he wrote a lot of business books um particularly at the beginning of 2010s when we were talking about the the rise of social media uh the um the peer to peer and that kind of thing, and also like the rise of you know, being able to um, uh, being able to put your information and your thoughts online and making it democratized. So he would talk a lot about that, uh, exactly what we're doing on this program right now. And so I kind of kind of respect what he has to say. Um, oh, he also went to Yale too. That's really interesting. Uh, so did I many years before me. Um, but I really think he's missing this point with this Twitter rant of his uh, that he came out with recently. I don't know. He's reacting to Elon Musk. And by the way, it's totally fair game to not like how Elon is is running the company of Twitter right now. But he says, you know, old Twitter is being destroyed and its epitaph is, is a, a BS rationale from Elon Musk, you know, because he's kind of harping on the fact that Elon Musk is saying speech on Twitter should match the law roughly match, um, you know, what's free speech in the law. He writes, that which matches the law isn't a thing. The First Amendment does not specify an ideal environment for speech. This is designed to let different groups adopt different norms. Uh, in the U.S., the First Amendment is a negative liberty, freedom from interference. It gets the government out of policing most speech. It appears alongside freedom of the press, religion, association, and let those groups invent their own rules. If your publication is pro-Putin, you do not have to publish op-eds against the war in Ukraine. Um, if your religion venerates Jesus, you do not have to let Satanists preach. If your association, uh, okay, uh, on and on, if your association approves of Likud, you don't have to let BDS supporters join. A platform that did not match the law would, by definition, be doing something illegal and someone could sue. Uh, no one does because private actors setting their own norms is not a violation of free speech. So first of all, he's, first of all, he's, he's I, I don't know if he's purposefully misrepresenting what Elon Musk has said, because when I think when I, I, I mean, I, I, I think I could be wrong that when um, Musk says, hey, uh, you know, our policies on Twitter should roughly match the law. He's saying, look, is this speech legal? Is this something that's legally allowed to be said? You know, it's not libel. It's not, you know, it, it, it's not um, it's not incitement to doing something illegal, uh, then uh, we should allow it, um, and then everything else uh, should be off. Maybe he does allow some rules to, like, break that a little bit, but he's saying, like, hey, it should be close to that. Um, so when he's saying matching the law, he's not saying, you know, he's not saying, hey, uh, if we don't allow free speech, it's a violation of the First Amendment, and therefore allowing all these things on our platform uh, is the law. He's just saying, hey, things that are illegal on Twitter and things that are illegal um, uh, by law should be roughly the same thing. And, and, and it, 
whereas I think that Shirky is looking at this kind of the other way around. Uh, so that's kind of weird. I don't. I feel like how could he get that wrong? I feel like he's doing something. You know, I, I think he's doing it. Um, purposefully, he, he, he continues, the Twitter of 2021 was not in violation of what the law allows, nor was the Twitter of 2016, nor was the Twitter of 2009. That's why no one ever whined, but my free speech, though, points to specific laws the service violated because there are none. The belief that the First Amendment ensures freedom to harangue others in private spaces is mainly held by white men. We're so accustomed to deference in all our societies, you believe that not deferring to us should be illegal, maybe constitutional. White men have so much cultural power that for us, the First Amendment feels like it should let us say anything to anyone we want to. Every, you know, look, this rant is just, how come nobody can give examples of this? Um, you know, what, what in the examples of the Twitter files is just kind of, you know, white men bloviating about how, how they're white? What, what, what is, none of these issues ever come up in the actual discussion of the facts. And so I, 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 I just worry not that I worry. It's just very frustrating to see someone like Clay Shirky go down this road like, oh, it's only white men that want free speech, which is not true, by the way. Historically, that's not true. And uh, <laughs> free speech is something that um, something that, uh, you know, something that benefits everybody. And free speech is applied to Twitter is kind of like, you know. Maybe it's not legal free speech, but it's openness. It's it's an ability to hash things out, an ability to have a somewhat neutral, you know, uh, arena of ideas. Um, and so I, I think I can't see anything in his rant other than he thinks that Elon Musk is inviting racists and Nazis back to Twitter because of the desire to match the law, blah, 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 sexist, transphobes, Nazis. I see all these words in here. I don't even want to... I don't want to, to, to even read all of this. It's just like, uh, well, but I should point out, all of this is allowed on the new Twitter, so maybe he's testing it. Maybe he's seeing if he's still allowed. He ends with his link at Mastodon, which is another thing. As those of you who have been listening to The Local Maximum know, I, I Max Sklar, have been talking about Mastodon for years, even when I got to it, I felt like I was late to the party because Mastodon existed many years before that. Probably uh, started talking about it in 2021. I probably heard about it several years before that and probably been around years and years before that. Um, Clay Shirky's on Mastodon, just, you know, I'm on, I mean, I have a Mastodon account. I don't, I don't tweet from it. Um, I just, I, you know, I, it, it is a growing network. It's, it's become much more popular recently. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I think everything that I predicted and said with Mastodon, I, I'm going to take a win on that one. Um, maybe, you know, it's always easy for, for someone like me or anyone else could be like, hey, everything I predicted happened. There are a lot of things I predicted that did not happen. And there are a lot of things that happened that, that I did not predict. But I'm going to take a win on that one. Maybe I could have someone a little bit more objective come in and say how I did with my predictions. But uh, what am I trying to say with this whole Clay Shirky thing? I'm just like, this is just, these, these rants and this hysterics even affect, um, you know, tend to affect everyone. Maybe it affects the kind of educated class a lot more. And it's just, it's very bizarre. Uh, it really is. And um, we'll see how much this works. I mean, can you actually make your argument just screaming about, you know, you know screaming buzzwords like white men and... Um, you know, uh, transphobes and how much, look, you can be against having some of the, some of the hateful stuff on Twitter while also being against, you know, the, the, 
the censorship that was involved in the political sphere and the public health sphere uh, and um, a, a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, so I, I, I don't see why uh, nobody can um, be a little bit more nuanced. And anyway, I'm, I'm ranting about this uh, Happy New Year's uh, rant from Clay Shirky. Maybe he'll have, <laughs> I don't think he's, <laughs> I hope he's, uh, I hope he's all right. I hope he's having a good year. Uh, or I hope he'll have a good year uh, on Mastodon. And uh, and we'll certainly follow Mastodon as we go on. All right. I, I, I feel like I'm getting nowhere here. I feel like I've been beating this dead horse. Uh, but okay, I will, I will link, uh, yes, I will link the tweet storm on the show notes page at localmaxradio.com slash 259 because it's pretty bad. And we'll also talk about it on, um, uh, on, the, uh, on, on the locals, maximum.locals.com and see, see what people think. All right. Now, I also want to talk about uh, some of the uh, breakthroughs in AI recently. And uh, it's, it's come to my attention that perhaps I've been overly critical of Google, but not overly critical of Google. Like there's a lot to be critical on, but maybe I've, I've misspoken, particularly when I'm just kind of having fun and talking to Aaron about uh, what's going on in the world. And maybe I'll say things that are a little too oversimplified, a uh, uh, little too oversimplified. So I'm not saying that Google research is nothing. Um, it's, it's not, it, 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 not only is it something, obviously, Obviously, they have some of the best researchers in the world. And they also, if you look at it, they have some real machine learning and AI contributions. Deep Mind, uh, they acquired it. It's in the UK, but, but, they, um, but, but it is Google research. Um, you know, we, uh, uh, I know I'm going to look this up in the, in the archive because I really want to... Um, I really want to post this. But they came up with that protein folding algorithm, uh, I believe... Uh, last year, so or two years ago, uh, that we covered on on the show. Uh, there's a lot going on with DeepMind that I need to look into. They built TensorFlow uh, a few years ago, and they maintain TensorFlow. That's one of the uh, main, uh, along with PyTorch and a few other things. That's one of the big few frameworks for deep learning today. Uh, BERT, which is the latest in language modeling technology, natural, natural language understanding, that was developed at Google. And before that, like in the previous decade, when, when it comes to natural language processing, um, there was word to vec and doc to vec, which, which we used at Foursquare, which represented words as points in a vector space is a list of numbers. And it was, uh, it was, very, um, it was very helpful. Um, and so uh, that was also built at Google. And they also have a whole suite of cloud computing products for machine learning. Um, and as we've already spoken about, you know, uh, um, you know, large language models, all that, I should also point out, I've met Jeff Dean at Google. I've heard him speak. Obviously, him and his team are very impressive. But let's be honest, there are a couple of problems with Google that we see uh, on the horizon. One is the Google graveyard, which we talked about way back in episode 36. It used to be that, hey, Google takes a lot of risks. Many of them don't work out, uh, so that's a good thing. But on the other hand, I feel like oftentimes they're unable to turn innovations or inventions into meaningful products, uh, even when they're so close. I'm sure they'd be able to point to advances in search that come from uh, that, that come from their NLP uh, work. In, in what manner is search actually better for consumers? I haven't seen it. And how much has it actually affected consumers? And another is the many episodes, and I'm not even going to post them because there's so many, where we talk about all the drama 
around Google and their AI experts and their AI uh, ethics people. That's Tim Jibru. That's the, and then there's the guy who was like a whistleblower because he thought his uh, chatbot came to life or is, or is conscious. So ultimately, yeah, I think they're suffering from, uh, maybe this is harsh words, empire and decline. Doesn't mean you can't have good things come out of Google. Uh, doesn't mean you can't do amazing work if you work at Google. But yeah, I, I think they are less likely these days to take the step uh, take the state of the art and then take the step of productionizing it. And as OpenAI has started to do, and others will as well. So if you're in Google, you can fight the good fight. We all use Google products. Of course, I wouldn't hesitate to use Google Cloud or TensorFlow. But in the big picture, uh, what I just said about their role in the market right now is how I feel. All right. So next week, we're going to restart probability distribution of the week. Uh, last year, we went through a lot of the discrete distributions, not necessarily simple ones, simple ones, complex ones, all sorts of discrete distributions. This year, we're going to start to tackle continuous distributions. And I think my first episode with Aaron, or the first probability distribution of the week with Aaron, we're going to talk about the uniform distributions in continuous space, and actually how tricky that can be to, to figure out. And of course, we're going to do uh, yearly predictions with Aaron and maybe maybe some predictions beyond that. So look forward to that. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.